Hello and welcome to the Emotion Network podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. Um, and it's a bit of a different episode this week. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did the uh, simulcast with the team from Mind Tools, uh, a member of the team came on the podcast and she enjoyed it so much. She's back today, which I'm really excited about. Um, so, uh, and also the format's going to be a bit different. So even though I'm welcoming you, dear fair listener, um, into this podcast, uh, I'll actually be handing over to our guest to do the, the hosting duties uh, today because this podcast was her idea. So um, uh, anyway, enough of me. Let's get our guest on the air. So welcome once again to the Emotional World podcast, Lizzie Filikipru. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Phil. Thank you for having me host and having me on again. Very excited to be here. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that you're here as well. So it's super exciting. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, and also, I think because I don't know. I guess um, uh, I think when you when your idea for this episode, which was kind of like the take it back to basics idea, um, mm-hmm. I suppose in a way, maybe because I've been talking about emotions for so long, maybe I think I've, I've sort of said it all already. Um, and, and I think it was mm-hmm. a useful reminder that um, that it can be all, it's stuff that's always good to say. So, um, before we get into uh, before we get into the emotion at work podcast proper, then let's begin as we always do with our unexpected yet innocuous question. Um, and uh, my question for you then, Lizzo, will be your season of choice. Oh, that's a tricky question. I think my answer is going to be biased because I'm really enjoying and have been enjoying like autumn and winter mainly because I've been getting Christmassy very early. I think I'm going to go with autumn because I like that at the start of autumn you can have kind of like quite mild, gentle weather, you've got some sun and then you transition into winter. I really like that transition phase. I love like when all the leaves turn golden. Yeah, it's just, I think it's a beautiful time of year. So I'm going to go autumn. Yeah, I think it's spring for Mm -hmm. me. I I mean, I love sun Um, uh, and I do enjoy the summer. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's spring for me. Um, spring feels like um, yeah, it's, it's when you I don't know I can start to get out running. It's easier to get back out running again um, mm-hmm. because the days are getting a bit longer. Um, so kind of early morning runs without either a head torch on or or you know loads of high vis um, become you know, become mm-hmm. more practical and more um, yeah more safe I guess um so yeah yeah Yeah, spring for me yeah I love spring I always associate spring with rain I think because yeah it my birthday is in spring and it always rains around my birthday it's like the end of March and it's always just not nice weather so I think I like the Uh, idea of spring and then the reality disappoints me but yeah okay um well hopefully then today's podcast because it was your idea the reality won't disappoint so fingers crossed no pressure on me then uh, to make sure that the uh, the mm-hmm. <laughs> that the that the reality of this episode is as good as the is as good as the idea that uh, that you came up with so why don't we start with that then what what kind of prompted your idea for this particular episode so i think a couple of things i think obviously i do a lot of um research into our podcasts uh, podcasts so far it's kind of like how i've built up my knowledge around emotions and emotion intelli- emotional intelligence sort of having joined this job with not loads of prior background knowledge and I was just mm-hmm. thinking like I think I know bits and bobs like about lots of different things but I don't feel like I have a good solid basis yet and I think just having a podcast where we could just get all the key 
I guess like fundamental elements of like what are emotions how should we even begin to start trying to understand and manage them I Mm -hmm. felt like having an episode where all of that was laid out would just be super useful so it was a very selfish motivation it was just for me and then I kind of thought well if I feel like that then I'm you know I'm sure there are other people that do yeah Um, so yeah that's where it came from okay all right wonderful sounds like a great idea then um so uh should we uh, at this point then I have no idea what's coming next so uh so let's hand it over to you and then uh, I'll let you host from here on in okay well thank you Phil for agreeing in advance to answer all my questions um I guess I wanted to start by like getting down as I said the fundamentals and so I thought quite a good question to open with would be imagine you're speaking to someone who knows they have feelings but they don't really know what to do with them or how to even start managing them what three things would you advise to someone who was wanting to just manage their emotions a little bit better so I like those three things because there's always three um uh I I love there being three (laughs) things um uh so um and I kind of don't want to answer the question to begin with in that um there's there's a i'm a big fan of language and and i think um being particular and being i guess conscious of language i think is really important so i i don't like the phrase um and i i still use it so i'm not saying this is a phrase that you know i've erased from my language um or it's a phrase that um that i don't use i just I, I, i don't like it because that phrase around managing emotions. Um, I, I don't think I know anybody mm-hmm. who likes to be managed. You know, like if you're being performance managed, or if you're be you if you're having your impression managed, or if you're, you know, because it implies um, I don't know. It implies a degree of of, of superiority because the you you're you've got power over something or someone. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, it brings implications of control, I guess, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about working with emotions. And, and rather than, because I think it, it implies, because there's this, there's this narrative around thoughts and feelings and how kind of thoughts mm-hmm. are more, I don't know, more valid or more important or more appropriate or or more whatever it might be that thoughts are better than feelings and so it's almost like my mm-hmm. my thoughts are, are managing my emotions because my emotions are, 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 are like a reckless or are inappropriate or need managing in in some way mm-hmm. um so i prefer working with um uh, I, I use managing emotions because it's a phrase that other people understand so and it's a phrase that the, so if I said, you know, mm-hmm. how do you manage your emotions? Other people would know what I meant by it. I'm just also not a great big fan of it because yeah, because of all the reasons that, uh, that I've mm-hmm. Um So that's my non-answer to the question. And then if I actually answer the question. Um, so one thing is um, emotions happen because we care. Um, and so if you're experiencing an emotion of some sort or you're experiencing feelings of something if you didn't care you wouldn't feel 
So you only have emotions because mm -hmm. it, because there's some because there's something happening that you care about. It could be something happening to you. It could be something mm -hmm. happening to other people. It could be something happening in a situation. It could be um, something to do with your values or your morals. It could be something to do with your identity and how you see yourself. But if you don't care, you won't feel. So um, if your emotions are there, that means that that's something that you care about. So what I think might be helpful is then to break care down a little bit more. Um, so mm -hmm. by breaking care down, I'm going to say that it's some, that means it's something that involves something that's important to you and or it's something okay. relevant to your goals. So something is happening mm -hmm. in you, around you, in your head um, that you care about and you care about it either because it's important to you or because it's relevant to your goals. So, for example... Um, and also this can um, this this level of care can correlate with the intensity of the emotion so if I think about a real kind of classic mm -hmm. example um, I know you're learning to drive at the moment um, and so there yes. will be times where somebody kind of cuts you up where they pull in in front of you or mm -hmm. where uh, or maybe you pull in front of somebody else or you're driving along and you're a bit slower than the person mm -hmm. behind would like you to be and, and then an emotion comes. Mm -hmm. So why does that emotion come? Well, probably because if you're driving somewhere, you've got somewhere to go, you have a goal. Because if you're in your vehicle and you're mm -hmm. moving, you're trying to get somewhere. So your goal commonly is to get to wherever it is that you want to get to. Um, and it's And it might be important to you to get there. And then something, so another in this example, another vehicle is in your way. Um, now, if you were early for where you wanted to get to, so let's say you're trying to get to, um, let's say you're trying to get to a job interview and you're late, then that thing being in your way mm -hmm. is likely to bring a more intense emotion because that job interview is important to you mm -hmm. and you know you're already late. So the degree of, of emotion that you're likely mm -hmm. to experience is going to be more intense because of the relative importance or relative relative relevance to your goal. If I contrast that with you going shopping and there's no there's mm -hmm. no deadline, there's you know, you don't need to be there at a particular time. Yes, shopping is 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 important because you need sustenance, you need fuel for your body, but beyond that, you know, or you know, you need whatever it is you're gonna buy. But if you're in no particular rush, you know you need mm -hmm. to get there, but you're not pressed for time and, and, or any of those things, then you might be mildly annoyed, but the degree of intensity of the emotion will be less. So mm -hmm. if, I suppose the first thing for me is if you're experiencing an emotion, there's something going on that you care about. Mm -hmm. So the question I would encourage you then to consider is, what is it about this that I care about? Or maybe if you were to break it down, what is it about this situation that's important to me? Or how is this situation relevant to my goals? Because if you can figure mm -hmm. that out, then that helps you with understanding what it is that's kind of brought that emotion forth for you. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can figure out what's important and or how that thing is relevant to your goals, then it's likely that that will help you understand more about um, kind of what that emotion is doing there and what it's trying to do for you because if mm -hmm. you if you don't perceive it to be important then you won't pay attention to it and you won't have the feeling so mm -hmm. if 
if it doesn't matter and it's irrelevant, then it won't be important. And, and that might be an example like um, litter. So some people get really annoyed mm -hmm. about litter on the street. Other people just don't care. Mm -hmm. So if and and it could and, I, and there's a risk of a, of a that this could come across like I'm being judgmental or that I'm judging people for it, and, and I'm not. Just for me, it's a it's an everyday example of if mm -hmm. if I don't care about the environment that I'm in, and if I don't care about the place that that I am, and I'm not interested in uh, in mm -hmm. the aesthetic kind of the aesthetics of that location then I'll just walk past the litter and I won't and it won't make any difference to me it won't make me angry it won't make me happy I'll just walk past it being indifferent because I just don't care it's not important to me it's not relevant to my goals whereas for others they might that might really frustrate them because there's something um happening there that um mm -hmm. is important to them and relevant to their goals um a similar example might be mm -hmm. um I if I saw my my any of my children if my son or my daughters at the airport to greet me when I got home as a surprise I would care deeply about that mm -hmm. because they're really important to me and they're really relevant mm -hmm. to my goals um but, but the random stranger next to me doesn't care so they're not going to feel anything they don't care about the fact that my mm -hmm. kids are stood over there because they're nothing to do with them there's they're they're of no relevance to their goals and they're not important to them in any way um so yeah okay. so it felt like a very long i mean i'm known for giving long answers but anyway so what what are three things um somebody would want to know about getting better at, at um, working with their emotions so i suppose the first thing is about not judging mm -hmm. it so if mm -hmm. it's there it's there because you've deemed it to be important in some way or somehow mm -hmm. and so what can be helpful then is to try and figure out what it is about that thing that's important to you mm -hmm. um the second thing is that um emotions are often viewed as things that only come or only happen when something external to us is occurring so let's use the examples i've just chosen so i've chosen um a, so a vehicle being in front of you or in your way when you're trying to get somewhere um, litter mm -hmm. on the ground and uh, children being at an airport the three examples that I used and mm -hmm. all of those are things outside of me so they're things that they're, they're, they're things mm -hmm. that might trigger me I guess to use a, a common word of trigger they're things that might trigger me that are outside of outside of me that I'm then perceiving through my through mm -hmm. my five senses through what I can see and hear and taste and touch mm -hmm. and smell um, I'm interpreting or perceiving those things as important and doing something with it. Um, so a second thing for me then is that emotions also happen from within. So yes. things, that, things that we remember, things that we imagine, mm -hmm. and things that we dream also bring those emotions forth. So this this perceptional mm -hmm. thing so i describe it as a i, I was in so when i uh, i first started to do some work a few years ago with uh, a company called the emotional intelligence academy or eia group of their name um and, and we started talking about mm -hmm. this radar the idea that we've constantly got this radar running and this radar is running and it's looking for things mm -hmm. that are important it's looking for things that we care about um, and one of the challenges with the radar metaphor is that it's like the radar beams out. So if you imagine your your senses of the radar, they're beaming yeah. out and they're they're looking for things. 
Um, mm-hmm. Also, though, the radar goes internally. So um, mm-hmm. if if we remember something that's happened to us in the past, then that can bring the emotions again because those things are still important mm-hmm. to us um, and they're still mm-hmm. relevant to to our goals. So something might happen... Um, something might happen for me in first thing in the morning and then when I remember that thing mm-hmm. as I work my way through the day the emotions come back it's not like I've had something mm-hmm. outside of me happen or occur and it might be that I don't know maybe mm-hmm. I had an argument with a member of my family in the kitchen so when I walk into the kitchen I then go oh yeah I remember that mm-hmm. argument I had in here this morning um so it could be that I suppose mm-hmm. um, uh, but memories come from lots of different places so um yeah emotions can can be brought forth or triggered from external stuff uh, they can also be brought forth or triggered mm-hmm. from internal stuff so that could be things we remember that could be things that we imagine um, and it mm-hmm. could be things that we that we dream mm-hmm. so um, I guess when when you were preparing to do the role that you're doing now on the podcast you might have been ma- imagining how it's going to mm-hmm. go so how is it going to feel interviewing Phil what questions am I going to ask him how might it feel if if he talks forever like he does often um so you and that might bring different emotions for you and and that's where you are imagining what it will be like um so yeah so emotions can come from outside and from or emotions can be triggered or brought forth from outside or um uh or from within um and then the third thing i would say is um a it's 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 nearly impossible to not feel them so if you go mm-hmm. with you know, if you're looking to channel your your inner Elsa of of conceal don't feel, um, it's nigh on impossible to to stop emotions because emotions are are there mm-hmm. because they save our lives. Um, that radar that mm-hmm. that we've got running is there to protect us. It's looking for it's it's well, it's there to protect us and. And enrich our lives so it's looking for things that um sustain us and and and, and, and we mm-hmm. enjoy or find pleasurable it's also looking for for challenges and risks and threats um so it's yeah it's nigh on impossible to um to not feel so it, i would say there's no point in trying you, you're better off thinking about how mm-hmm. how do i work with those emotions when they happen there's a, a book called mm-hmm. um, Emotions Revealed uh, by a guy called Paul Ekman, which mm-hmm. is this. My incredibly masculine book when yeah. I'm reading it on the train. Look at me with my bright pink book. Um, um, uh, and, in, and in that, he talks about catching the spark before the flame. So, so the emotion happens mm-hmm. and it's how, how can you catch the spark before it kind of goes big, before the, before the flame takes hold. And I see that a lot in, um, in in some of the work that we do with our clients. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the the pieces of what we're doing at the moment, we're working hard on on reducing the the knee jerk reactions. So uh, we've got a client that we're working with mm-hmm. is working on a on a particular construction project that's really important um, for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also late. So there's a lot of pressure on it because it's it's late and, and we need to get it on time, um, and also um, it, a lot of people have invested a lot of time and effort and energy into wanting this project to be a success. So when something goes wrong, 
mm-hmm. we kind of go you know the it, the 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 we the something goes wrong it triggers an emotion and the flame just catches really really quickly and so what i'm working on with that mm-hmm. team is, is how can we how can we catch the spark before the flame goes whoom. um that's a i don't know where mm-hmm. that noise has just come from but anyway um yeah how do we catch yeah, the spark before the flame so yeah so they would be my uh, my three things that somebody wanting to get better at managing mm-hmm. their emotions or working with their emotions um should know yeah that was all really really interesting and it got me thinking do we all feel like the same emotions as in is there a set range of emotions that humans feel and are they consistent across like a group of people or do we all feel different emotions like um so the answer is both um uh, (laughs) and the answer is both for, for a few different reasons so um everybody's different and so it, and, and it links back to the example i gave earlier on about um my kids at an airport that's an example they would mean something to me but they wouldn't mean anything to anybody else i would i, I can't say they wouldn't mean anything to you because mm-hmm. if you knew they were my kids and because you know me then you 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 might feel something mm-hmm. because you know you, there's something within there that you care about mm-hmm. um uh mm-hmm. and so what's what's important to me might be different what's important to me or relevant to my goals might be different than to what's important to you and or relevant to your goals so we we might both feel anger as a feeling as an emotion mm-hmm. and we might feel that anger for different things so that's yeah. so that's where i'm saying there's there's an element of universality yes and there's an element of difference in there as well so there are seven, uh, well, I say seven. So th- so Paul Ekman, who I mentioned earlier on, so he, he was really interested in universality of emotion. Um, and not universality mm-hmm. of experience, though. So he wasn't interested in do, do everybody feel emotion? Does everybody, does every human feel the same emotions in the same way? So he wasn't necessarily interested in that. Mm-hmm. He was interested in the universal expression of emotion. Um, so are there some universalities right. in the way that people express emotions? Um, and, and what mm-hmm. he found, or what his research found was seven. Um, it started off with five, then it became six, and then it became seven. Um, and if you were to go yeah. into the peer-reviewed literature, there is a, a high degree of agreement on five. So most emotion researchers mm-hmm. agree that there are what some call five basic emotions that have um, expressions that go with it and those being happiness sadness um, anger fear and disgust yes and then the two that are up for debate are surprise and contempt mm-hmm. so surprise because okay. Is it an emotion? So mm. some people argue that it's not an emotion. So I, I suppose it, maybe it then takes us back to we, we need to define what emotions are. So mm-hmm. what emotions do is they bring our attention to something that we deem to be important or relevant to our goals. And then, and then mm-hmm. there are associated psychological and 
psychological, physiological, and behavioral outcomes that occur as a result. So psychological mm -hmm. being, we think things, things go on inside our head. Physiological being, things go on inside our bodies. And then behavioral being, something happens that others could perceive. So face expressions would be a good example of that. So uh, my radar's running, it perceives something that's important to me or relevant to my goals. Um, it then does something to me psychologically where I go, oh, there's that. Um, and, it, uh, and maybe an everyday example might be hearing your name in a crowded room. So you're, you're in a room where there's lots of other mm -hmm. people and then you hear your name. Um, so you, we, when that, we're, because that's something that's really important to us, it's our name and it's relevant to our goals because it's about us. Um, we often orient, we orient ourselves to that. So when we hear it, we're like, oh, and we'll, and we'll turn our head to wherever the, the, the sound came from. Um, and, uh, and so and we have all three things there. So the radar's running. Psychologically, it goes like that. It has an impact on me physiologically because it might spike. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it might spike my adrenal gland because I'm like, oh, somebody's mentioning me that, I, and, and and they're not in my immediate circle. So why are they talking about me? Maybe I'm now a bit nervous. Um, and there's a behaviour which is I turn my mm -hmm. head to whatever it was that, that came. Mm -hmm. So the some that argue surprise is an orienting response because surprise is a like a station mm -hmm. on the way to somewhere else. So when I turn around and I see it's um, so if I'm I don't know let's say I'm in a I'm in a in a busy room in London where as far as I'm aware you're in Leeds and then I hear your voice saying Bill mm -hmm. and then I turn around and then I'm, and then I'm like oh you're not meant to be here mm -hmm. that's that's an uh, that's an unexpected thing mm -hmm. but then I'm happy because it's nice to see you um, whereas mm -hmm. if I hear my voice and I turn around and there's somebody moving at me at pace that potentially could be a threat to me then i might then have mm -hmm. fear in response rather than uh, than happiness so so surprise mm -hmm. is like a a station on the way to another um to another destination because there's a there's another emotion that follows surprise mm -hmm. um and then contempt is the other one that's again that some some researchers agree some researchers differ um uh, and partly that's because of the um uh, of the moralness of contempt because contempt is about feeling superior to somebody else um mm -hmm. and there's other criteria that different people look at so um uh, so david matsumoto for example who used to work with paul ekman he and ekman both uh, have a view that um if you're looking for universality of expression of emotion then those expressions need mm -hmm. to be present in primates because there's an evolutionary um, mm -hmm. there's an evolutionary component to it in terms of you know, we, we as humans have evolved from primates and therefore and so on um, and there is evidence to suggest that contempt is as a face expression as in this example is shown by mm -hmm. the dominant primate in a pack as an example um, mm -hmm. so there is some there is some de there's the, there's a, the degree of agreement it varies those first five high degree mm -hmm. of agreement and then the other two you know, there's uh, there's some kind of discussion around it um mm -hmm. uh, and, and what sort of ekman matsumoto and others um sort of what they suggest is that each of those emotions have a universal trigger so uh, and also mm -hmm. each of those emotions are sort of a, a they have a, a range of intensity within them 
So if you looked at, um, at happiness, for example, happiness might range from um, amusement all the way up to mm-hmm. um, intense joy, whereas, um, mm-hmm. or elation, maybe. Would, you, would I put elation above joy? Yeah, probably. Um, whereas anger might go from, I don't know, annoyance or irritation up to rage. Um yeah, exactly. Yeah. And whereas fear might go from butterflies up to petrified. Um mm-hmm. and, and and one of the things that somebody like Lisa Feldman Barrett argues, for example. So Lisa Feldman Barrett's an author, she wrote um a book called How Emotions Are Made, which is also on my bookshelf. I could go get it if I wanted to. Um and one of the things that she would argue is that uh, emotions are words. So what we use are, are words mm-hmm. as, as labels to describe the, the feelings and the sensations that, that we experience. And so therefore mm-hmm. um, the words we use to describe how we feel are socially, um, they're defined socially. They're defined by those that we, that we're brought, you know, the, those that we surround ourselves with in, with socially as we mm-hmm. kind of grow and evolve. So she's less in the emotions of universal camp. She thinks that they're socially constructed in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Because we have to have find a way to label emotions. And so um, we use words to do so. Now, where I would disagree with Lisa Feldman Barrett in that example is that there's also been um, uh, some research done uh, I think it was in by Numenar and all Numenar et al in 2013, in terms of the physiological bit. So, you know, I said mm-hmm. emotions can be sad; they have psychological, physiological, and behavioural components. So, one of the physiological yeah. changes are things like what happens with our heart rate, what happens with our blood pressure, what happens with the different mm-hmm. hormones that we might have with um, within us. So, you know, when does the adrenal gland activate and things like that. And Numenara told did a um, a piece of research where they asked people to physiologically describe the emotions, um, and then what they found was a degree mm-hmm. of universality across cultures in terms of the physical way that people yeah. experience emotions. So, do they experience heat or do they experience mm-hmm. coldness? Where do they experience? Is it in their is it in their face, in their hands, in their arms, in their stomach, in their chest, and things like that? We'll put a link to the paper in the show notes. Um, uh so mm-hmm. so i yeah so i suppose like i feel like i'm now just like citing loads of research papers so let's stop doing that and be more practical um, no it's really interesting um sorry Phil, i was just going to ask um on that point was there anything that indicated that we there's a degree of universality about how we recognize emotions so even across cultures or say different languages do people still recognize the same sort of I don't want to say physical symptoms, but physical attributes to like, oh, that is sadness. That is anger. Was, is there, I don't know if you've, yeah, if you know about any research into that side of things. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so face expression wise, yes. Um, So there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a big body of research around the universality of face expression across culture um, and also across um, sighted and visually impaired people as well. So that visual impairment could be blind or it could be um, visually impaired. So if you were to look at the, um, if you were to look at the um, 
sort of the so the Lisa Feldman Barrett or Margaret Mead, who are two emotion researchers that have, that um, support the socially constructed view of emotion. Um, they would argue that mm-hmm. facial expressions of emotions are learned from other people. So, um, right. uh, so if you think about the classic kind of peekaboo thing, um, so you would, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you, if, you, if it was a baby, you cover your eyes, you go, oh, where's so and so gone? And then you, when you open them, you open your eyes wide, you drop your mouth open, and you go boo, um, which is the prototypical surprise yeah. expression. So somebody's disappeared. Oh, look, they're back, mm-hmm. um, and it's unexpected. So they would argue that it's it could be socially learned, and so. Um, what uh, David Matsumoto in particular was interested in is um, how do facial expressions of emotions um, appear on those that might be visually impaired? Um, because they've mm-hmm. had, they've had no, they've got no way of of learning that socially constructed mm-hmm. view. If the if the expression of if the if facial expressions of emotions are socially constructed, then those mm-hmm. that haven't been able to see wouldn't be able to learn that mm-hmm. these face expressions exist and so therefore wouldn't replicate them and what he found with a high degree of correlation mm-hmm. was that they did so um yeah. so the uh so that there's a there's a big body of evidence that supports that that face expressions of emotion are universal where that universality differs is what might bring the emotion forth so what might trigger you to be scared or angry or happy might be different to what triggers me to be scared or angry or happy and the extent to which or the degree Mm -hmm. to which of or the intensity of which you are scared or angry or happy might be different to the extent to which i am scared or angry or happy so so we had a good Mm -hmm. really good example of, of it this week um so for the audience's benefit, um, on uh, earlier on this week, uh, the emotional work team all got together. Um, and uh, just over a week ago, about 10 days ago now, um, um, a couple of my social media accounts got hacked. Um, and uh, when we met a few days ago, we were discussing it. And a member of the team said, I can't believe how calm you are about it. Um, I, I would be feeling really differently. And, and that's a, a good example of how the same stimulus or the same thing happening social media came being hacked for mm-hmm. example how i felt about it was different to how a member of the team felt about it and that's not that i'm right and the member of the team's wrong it's that that's a really useful example of how the same thing can bring both a different in this example a different emotion and a different intensity of the emotion so it, it bothered me but i wasn't mm-hmm. i don't know i was maybe a I was probably more frustrated with the process of trying to get back into the account than I was, um, mm-hmm. than I was in terms of the intensity of, of, of what had happened. Um, so yeah, so uh, so there's, um, and, and then what, and then that might differ across cultures as well. Then so because what might be mm-hmm. important in England might be different to what's important in Finland or important in. Mm-hmm. turkey or important in singapore mm-hmm. um so yeah um yeah uh and then also like wasting the other because yeah yeah exactly yeah that's a, that's another useful example yes mm-hmm. because if in some areas it'd be really important mm-hmm. to save it and there's other areas it's like mm, yeah i can mm-hmm. just turn i can turn the tap on again and more water will come yeah. 
Um, the other thing you asked about is you say so you didn't particularly ask about facial expressions. That was where I took it. So in terms of other behaviours, in terms of universality, um, mm -hmm. then the the next the next most researched communication channel would be the voice, in terms of how how the voice mm -hmm. changes in different emotions. Um, and often that's because mm -hmm. of the physiological components. So I mentioned earlier on that emotions have this psychological, physiological and uh, behavioral component. So when with the voice mm -hmm. in particular, you have a combination of the physiological component with the behavior component when the voice changes. So when people experience mm -hmm. fear, they they become tense that tension then impacts their vocal cords which makes their vocal cords mm -hmm. lengthen which then sends the pitch of the voice up here because the vocals become tight mm -hmm. and, and 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 that physiological change then creates that change in the voice now one of the challenges with any with faith with face expressions or the voice is you can manipulate it so not everybody can do facial expressions or mm -hmm. everybody can do all of the facial expressions because manipulating all of the muscles on your face can be hard. Um, uh, and also some mm -hmm. people can and can't manipulate their vocal cords. So um, uh, one of the things that, that happens often in uh, in anger is the, the release of, I think it's, um, uh, I think it's adrenaline and then the change in heart rate mm -hmm. and blood pressure causes the vocal cords to vibrate so it creates an edge so when someone's angry you get that you get that kind of growly bit in the voice and that's uh, and that's because of the physiological mm -hmm. changes that are happening so in terms of the research into universality then i would say the most research or the most support the most supported by research is face expressions followed by voice there's an amazing book um called uh, the human voice by a lady called anne carp um, it's the best book on voice I've read. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it also gives you a bit of a biology lesson. So it tells you um, how, mm -hmm. so it, it, it describes the physiological components in terms of the vocal cords, in terms of uh, the roof of your mouth, your tongue, uh, your palate, and how all of those things impact the production of noise out of your, um, uh, out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I would say most research is, most research um, the most research, most supported research into universality is face followed by uh, followed by voice. Um, then it's probably language. Mm -hmm. So there are, mm -hmm. um, now language is a bit different though. So uh, the universality element of language depends on the language. So, the, right. so because we're using words to describe um, feelings and emotions, and those words differ across different cultures and different languages, then they start to become more kind of, so you, you start to lose the universality across the globe, for example, that you might get with um, voice and with face expressions, but you can get some useful insight into language use across um, a particular language. Sorry, emotion use in language across a particular, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and then the, and then body language wise, so kind of physical movements, then mm -hmm. that's the most, um, that's probably the, 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 yeah, 
is probably one of the most. So to to quote my one of my colleagues, sort of friends and colleagues, Aaron Garner, it's probably one of the most um, discussed but least researched areas of behaviour. Um, there's lots of mm-hmm. um, there's lots of stuff out there um, that doesn't have that universality bit behind it. So I'd probably say, right. in the if if I was to say, well, what's the most consistently researched thing then i would say it's movement so um kind of movement of the body mm-hmm. and that movement of the body towards or away from something so normally say normally mm-hmm. what the research suggests is that commonly in fear will move backwards and away from something commonly with mm-hmm. happiness or with anger as examples will move towards something um and then mm-hmm. in surprise, we typically, well, typically, that's not even, I can't even say typically. And then in surprise, then there's some research to suggest that we stay still, which arguably plays into the mm-hmm. fight, flight, and freeze responses. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'd go face, voice, words within a language, and then body. But there's no, and that's one of the things so there's a an ex-fbi agent called joe navarro and he wrote a book called what everybody is saying mm-hmm. um as in like what every body and everybody is saying um mm-hmm. and um it's really interesting and i really enjoyed reading it and it's one person's view of the world and, and that's where it becomes tricky so for mm-hmm. example um mm-hmm. uh there's a there's a but there's a body pose he describes as the cobra, which is where somebody will put they'll interlace mm-hmm. their fingers behind their head and put their elbows out as if you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know like a as mm-hmm. a cobra snake would be that it's got the thin body and then it widens up around the head, so it's described as the cobra, mm-hmm. um, and and that mm-hmm. is attributed to a power display, so it's a display of power and dominance, mm-hmm. as an example. Uh, mm-hmm. I do it when I'm hot, and then I get really self-conscious of the sweat yeah, pressures I'm having I do on my it when arms. I'm, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so that and that's the that's the tricky bit is that taking a gesture like interlacing your fingers behind your head and spreading you know and then and then having your elbows out to the side. Um, it's it's risky. It can be risky to say um, that movement or that gesture equals this meaning. Because you because you don't know. Um, uh, similarly, mm-hmm. like um, another one uh, that's uh, yeah. Anyway, so fit, like fidgeting is often described. You know, so if somebody fidgets, they're nervous if they're constantly changing the the position that they're sat in. Um, they're moving around a lot. Then that indicate indicates nervousness. Um, yeah, it might also indicate I need a wee. So you know, it's yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard to know, and and I could take the same argument to facial expressions because you, my face expression might might indicate to someone else that I'm experiencing a particular emotion. Let's say disgust. So if I wrinkle my nose and raise my upper lip, mm-hmm. um, um, so that might indicate that I that I'm experiencing an emotion of disgust. But what that doesn't tell you is why. And you can't read my mind. You don't know. Yeah why i might be disgusted so there was Mm -hmm. um when i was learning all about face expressions like Mm -hmm. 10 years ago um i was walking through meadow hall uh, which is a shopping center in the uk in a city called sheffield 
and um, I was walking along holding my wife's hand and uh, this guy was walking towards us um, and I perceived his eye gaze to be in the direction of my wife looked her up and down then looked me up and down and then made a face expression of disgust now I could mm-hmm. I could I could make that mean that he thought my wife was fit and I didn't deserve to be with her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could make that mean that um, uh, he thought he disapproved of my clothing and was offended by my by my choice mm-hmm. of clothing it could be that um, mm-hmm. he was offended by the fact we were holding hands um, so uh, and that's the thing I don't know mm-hmm. so what what I can know, mm-hmm. when I say what I can know, what I can hypothesize with a high degree of, of reliability is that he was experiencing an emotion of disgust. What I don't know is why, because I can't mm-hmm. read his mind. Now, I could then go and walk mm-hmm. next to him and ask him, what were you thinking when you were looking me up and down just just then? Um, um, mm-hmm. and, it, and also because I think as humans, we're quite, we're quite egocentric. So we often think things are about us. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I had a good example this week where someone's behavior had changed and uh and the the individual that was um that was in the room with them was like oh what have i done i've done something wrong they're angry with me um mm-hmm. you know i've done i've done i've done something to upset or, or or something to this person because their behavior with me is different to what it normally is um and i said okay well what else could it be though i mean it could be about you because you know, you're amazing and you're fantastic and, mm-hmm. and and of course everything is about you naturally and if it wasn't about you, what else could it be about? Oh, it could be about the meeting they had mm-hmm. before me. Yeah. What else could it be about? Something at home. Okay. What else? The next meeting they're going to. Okay. What else? Something they saw out the window. So exactly. So yes, it could be about you. It, it also might not be. So mm-hmm. kind of having mm-hmm. those different hypotheses as to what it, uh, what it could be, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Sorry. Once again, yeah, I found really that was a very long a... answer. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, that was a great answer. Um, yeah, it's all really interesting to hear how all the research sort of then links back to your the stuff that you're doing with clients on like a day-to-day basis and how you can apply that sort of very theoretical stuff to like very real situations. That mm. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we instantly think that we've upset the person or annoyed them when it's nothing to do with us. Um, so I guess we've kind of gone through the theory of emotions where they come from and how I guess we initially express them I wanted to ask what should a person do if they feel a really strong emotion coming on and they just they know they're going to get overwhelmed by it and they're panicking about that so I don't know you could something could have really upset you but now is not the time or the place to express it what should you do um uh, so I was going to say that's a really hard question to answer, and then you added that last bit on the end about it isn't the time and or place. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. uh, so in which case, so there's, so broadly speaking, there are five. Um, so there are five families of, of what's called emotion regulation. Um, now you could argue that mm-hmm. emotion regulation is another term for emotion management. That's probably true. Um, uh, so there's a, a researcher called James Gross who um, 
is probably recognised as one of the world's leading researchers on um, on emotion regulation. I've got uh, I've got his book um, here on my on my desk. It's very big. Um, although it's not just all his work. Actually, mm-hmm. this one is a is a collection of papers from different emotion researchers across the globe. Um, but he talks about five different families of emotion regulation, um, and and of those five three are to do with when the emotion is there so when the emotion is already there there are three mm-hmm. sort of primary ways that you could regulate it and then there's two that you can do either proactively or reactively so three reactively primarily and then there's two that are primarily proactively but you could use them especially one of them you could use um in a reactive way so i'm experienced i'm overwhelmed let's say i'm overwhelmed with sadness so that um uh, that mm-hmm. overwhelm is, is showing up maybe in terms of tears and i don't want to uh, i don't want to to cry in in this particular situation that i'm in mm-hmm. um and so one of those three reactive responses is called um response modulation which is where you are trying to mm-hmm. or you're you're actively working to to either make the emotion bigger or smaller as you're feeling it mm-hmm. um and one way to do that is to use the physiological part of your body to help you so i talked earlier on about um within an emotion there's the psychological the physiological and the behavioral component so what you're trying to control here is the behavior that's what you're trying to control you're trying to not cry Mm -hmm. in this particular example so you can then use the physiological or the psychological bits to help you to help the behavior so it's a bit like a it's a bit like a feedback loop maybe or it's a two-way street so in the same way that that you experience something that makes a psychological change a physiological change which changes your behavior if you change your behavior you can mm-hmm. change your physiology which can then change what you think and then change the emotion mm-hmm. so you can do it kind of both ways around so for example mm-hmm. um, the thing you always have with you wherever you are is your breath so uh, there's a book by John Kabat-Zinn mm-hmm. called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And, and, it, and, and in that, he's talking about the breath. So wherever you, as long as you're alive, you have your breath. And your breath mm-hmm. is a wonderful way of regulating your emotion. Because when you're, um, so for example, commonly, if you're sad um, and, and you're, you're crying or you're going to cry, your breath becomes short and you do a sometimes you mm-hmm. can do a number of in breaths and then an out breath so it mm-hmm. might be <sighs> so you're you're trying to to catch your breath in that way mm-hmm. so if you if you're feeling that overwhelm then doing something like box breathing as an example can support that overwhelm so breathe in and a, a box breathing of four might be too much because the emotion might be too strong so it might be in for three, hold for one, out for three, in for three, hold, out for three. Mm-hmm. Or you could do in for three, hold for two, out for three. Um, either way, what you're aiming to do is to regulate your breathing. Because if you regulate your breathing, it will tell your body that everything is okay. So um, you, you do open water swimming. Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. So when you get in cold water, what does your body want to do? Um, your breath gets a lot shorter. You kind of like tense up a lot. 
um and yeah, your body definitely goes into like a sort of like very like high i don't know like it's like survival mode i guess yeah and so what do, and when you when you want to go in and then you're going to continue into the water because that's what you want to do what do you then do mm-hmm. me personally just yeah trying to just like slow the breathing down and just like i think it's just like repeating why you're doing this and just yeah making sure that your body knows this is a very conscious decision that i am doing i am making myself do this it's a choice not like a situation where i need to be concerned for my well-being because i'm okay wonderful and and you've just described the the physiological um strategy that i was in the same way so i'm talking initially we were talking about Uh, we were talking about sadness and crying it can be the same in this example with the with the temperature change and the fear of this is cold Mm -hmm. and is uncomfortable um Mm -hmm. uh, that breath bit slowing your breathing down tells your body everything is okay so if 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 there's nothing if there's Mm -hmm. nothing else that you can control in the environment that you're in and you want to regulate how you're feeling regulate your breathing and your body will follow Mm -hmm. um -hmm. and then and then secondly, so there was an, an, another family that James Gross talks about, which is the idea of a cognitive change or reframe. So it's where you think about something in a different mm-hmm. way. And I could, I, I'll, I'll pay you later for the amazing example that you just gave me. So you're, the thought you're having in your head is, this mm-hmm. is important to me. This is something I want to do. I am going to do mm-hmm. this and everything is going to be okay. So what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're thinking differently about the feelings that you're having to change the feelings that mm-hmm. you're having so by and then you're combining the two i'm breathing deeply this is something that i want to do this is this is something i enjoy and i'm going to do it anyway this is something i want to do this is something i enjoy and i'm going to do it anyway you know so that you're combining two of those families mm-hmm. together by by modulating your response through your breathing and then um changing what you're thinking now there's other ways to modulate your response the reason i went for breathing is because you always have it it's always there um Mm -hmm. so other things that some people might do is they they might um sort of pacify themselves somehow so they might rub their hands together Mm -hmm. they might um kind of you know rub their Mm -hmm. hands on their um on their arms they might rub their hands Mm -hmm. on their legs they might um kind of you know touch their face cover their eyes you know some some kind of um of, of element yeah. of, of touching themselves to calm themselves down because that that, mm-hmm. that might help them in that way i'm not saying it helps everybody but that's what some some people do um so yeah so you've got that response modulation how do i modulate the response you've got that cognitive change or reframe how mm-hmm. do i think differently to feel differently and then the third one is um is called attentional deployment which is where we focus on something else so it's mm-hmm. in, in the example of if we go with the example of overwhelm it could be i'm not going to think about me i'm going to put all of my attention on something else i'm just going to focus on on mm-hmm. that person that's speaking over there and i'm just going to listen to every single word they've got to say because if i if all i'm thinking about is is that is them and what they're saying and what they're doing then i'm going to focus all of my attention on there or it might be oh I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's a window. I'm going to look at the window and I'm going to just put all of my attention out there and I'm going to, I'm going to forget what's happening in here. I'm going to turn off everything that's going on around me and I'm just going to think about what's going on outside. So it's where you, you take your attention and you put it on something else. 
um mm -hmm. uh, and uh yeah so and you can do it again a combination of those things so you might say i'm going to look out the window because that's where mm -hmm. I, that's that's safe that's safe mm -hmm. out there it doesn't feel safe in here so feel safe outside i'm going to look out the window i'm also going to tell myself mm -hmm. it's okay you're strong whatever it is you want to tell yourself mm -hmm. um you know I'm, I'm okay i'm all right um this is okay i can work i can mm -hmm. think about this later or um uh, hold it together or whatever it is i might be thinking and i'm breathing at the same time so i could do mm -hmm. i could combine all three together tension elsewhere think differently to feel mm -hmm. differently and modulate the response through for example my breathing mm -hmm. um and then the, the other two families um which you can use mm -hmm. sort of proactively um and sometimes reactively um is around how do i how do i change the situation or how do i get myself out of the situation so i might go excuse me i need the toilet um, mm -hmm. and, and I get up and I leave, um, because I can't, I can't, there's no window, so I can't look outside. I feel like everyone's staring at me. Um, uh, I, mm -hmm. my mind is so overwhelmed with, with thoughts of, of sadness that I can't take it anymore. So I, I'm, I give myself a reason to leave. So I go, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, uh, mm -hmm. I, I've got to go to the toilet. Or if you're on a, if you're on a video conference, you might go, oh, there's somebody at the door, um, and, and you, you turn your camera off so that people can't see you anymore. Um, so you can sort mm -hmm. of get, take yourself out of the situa situation. So uh, that one's called situation selection, where you take yourself mm -hmm. out of it. Um, and the other one is called mm -hmm. situation modification, which is where you think, right, how can I change this situation? How do I get the attention off me? So if everyone's looking at me and mm -hmm. I'm feeling really overwhelmed, I might go, ah, well, Lizzie, what do you think? What, what's, what are your views on, on this particular mm -hmm. thing to try and get the attention away from me and, uh, and, and onto something mm -hmm. else or someone else? Um, and you can also mm -hmm. use those two things proactively. So it might be that you think, well, I know that if I go into this particular type of meeting with this particular person, that makes me overwhelmed. So I'm actually not going to go into that meeting because I don't need mm -hmm. to. So I'm just not going to bother. Um, mm -hmm. And there might be other times where you could go right how do i change that situation um but i feel like i'm very veering off topic a little bit but i think if we think about those five families of situation selection can i can i take myself in or out of it mm -hmm. situation modification can i change the situation so it so it's emotionally easier for me uh attentional deployment mm -hmm. can i put the focus and the attention somewhere else cognitive change or reframe can i think of can i think differently to feel differently and then response modulation how do i how do i regulate the the, the physiological feelings that i have um because yeah okay is um when it comes to client work and the projects and people you've worked with over the years in workplaces what do most people opt for um when they're like well you can see that they're like trying to process an emotion and they trying trying to manage it or well work with the emotion what do most people opt for um so often it's a mix um uh the the response modulation is is most common and most destructive especially if the response modulation is to suppress it or repress it and never let it out so so mm -hmm. in your example the of the overwhelm regulating it in that moment or in that meeting or in that that conversation 
uh, can be really helpful because you don't want to be expressing it in that moment because for whatever reason it's a, it's inappropriate. Um, if then you don't express it in another way at another time, it's just going to sit there. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that links into what um, emotion researchers will often describe as a flooding out episode. So um, mm -hmm. if you feel it and then you, you kind of suppress it, you push it back down again, and then you might remember that mm -hmm. overwhelm that you felt earlier on in the day, and then you go, oh, yeah, but I still can't express it, so you suppress it again. And then someone says, oh, mm -hmm. were you all right earlier on? You looked a bit upset. No, 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 I was fine. And then you suppress it again. Um, at some point, if you don't express that emotion in another way, what will happen is that emotion mm -hmm. will come pouring out. And, and it sometimes it's described mm -hmm. as the straw that broke the camel's back. Sometimes it's described as the mm -hmm. as the bursting of the dam. Sometimes it's described as the you know the the cork popping out of the bottle, you know, whatever bit is that. Because what happens is that emotion hasn't been you haven't worked with that emotion in a way where you can let it go. So it's still there. To go back to my Elsa bits from earlier on, and then what happens is it comes flooding out, and and essentially mm -hmm. at the risk of being a real nerd that's the the whole premise of frozen as a film was one big mm -hmm. flooding out episode so a character had spent wow. years and years and years suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and then it got to the point where she mm -hmm. just couldn't hold it in anymore and then out it all came mm -hmm. um so the you know a hugely popular disney film that's gone on to be a um, West End production and has had a sequel made that wasn't mm -hmm. quite as good as the first one um, essentially is mm -hmm. about somebody who who, yeah, had a flooding out episode and that flooding out episode froze mm -hmm. the kingdom of Arendelle mm -hmm. created an eternal I guess in winter. that way as well it... mm -hmm. it's going to break, it, break yes. it to song then Again. it could be a great metaphor and I guess it's like that's yeah really interesting I guess thing you've spotted and I think maybe it does speak to the fact that maybe suppressing emotions is a fairly common thing that like we all do yeah. um and, and to answer your question yeah, I don't know if you would agree yeah no I, I, it, it is um and to answer your question from earlier on I, I see that commonly in teams so what I see mm -hmm. in teams is the is the ag the the build-up of a number of different things then creates the flooding out episode which might be in tears, um, sometimes might be in frustration. You know, it's a it's a pounding of the table and a and a shouting across the room. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it might be um, a storming out the room. Uh, sometimes it might be um, a keyboard warrior. Um, you know, massive long tirade of, of an email that that's sent to somebody uh, that's sent to somebody else. So the 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 dysregulation of emotion is something that harms teams so that emotion dysregulation mm -hmm. that that inability or that um that unwillingness to regulate emotions often creates dysfunctions in teams um and relationships mm -hmm. and, and and that's where we help that's how we can help and, and mm -hmm. um and and because you're at the risk of being becoming very, I don't know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh, I, can't, I can't think of the word. But anyway, um, if you think about, I, I was never taught 
about the five families of, of emotion regulation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was I, I learned through experience about the appropriateness of expression of emotion. Um, no one sat me down and, and, and talked about what emotions are and where they come from and how they work and how you can use them and how how important they are for your welfare and how um, yeah how you can can work with them in a, in a constructive way. I'd argue that over the mm-hmm. last, you know, if you think about it from a school's point of view, the, the, the personal, social, health and education or the PSHE curriculum has changed a lot over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. But a lot of the people that are in the workplace now weren't at school 10 years ago. They were at school 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and so if they've never mm-hmm. had that opportunity to, to, I don't know, to, to know or to engage or work with their emotions in different ways, then... I don't know any better. Um, so just mm-hmm. just yesterday, uh, I was with a client. Um, uh, could see they were frustrated. Um, they asked a member of the team something. The member of the team said two or three words, and then they said, "You know what? No, don't worry. It doesn't matter." Um, uh, you, this person, and then spoke to their boss and said, "This person needs some help. Get them some help because they can't do it on their own." Um, and so I sat down with that individual afterwards and said, tell me about that. Tell me about what was kind of happening for you then, what was going on for you then, what were you thinking, what were you feeling? Um, mm-hmm. it was, I was annoyed that we hadn't done the thing that we said we were going to do. Um, I was uh, annoyed that um, we haven't given that person the resources that they need to do the job that we're asking them to do well. Um, and I was... Um, uh, nervous that we we didn't say nervous what they say I can't remember I'm gonna say nervous nervous that we would fail again okay so now put yourself in that individual shoes who you asked a question and they started to speak and then you told them that that you'd heard enough how was that for them what do you mean well, how, how, how might that have been for them so if I said what do you think and then you start talking to me and then I, I just shut you down and say I don't want to hear from you anymore oh yeah yeah, that can't have been very nice. So, so what do you want to do about it? I think I need to go and apologise to them. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it, but it, it wasn't because it wasn't about the individual and it wasn't about what the individual was saying, actually. Um, but what you had in that moment is that individual was, wasn't able to regulate their emotions in a way that could make that conversation constructive. Because mm-hmm. I said, what would have happened if you'd have let them speak? We'd have wasted time. How much time? I don't know. Give me your best guess. I don't know, a minute? Okay. And in, in the in the scale of a day, if we'd have waited a minute to then say, thank you, we need to get this guy some help because he's, he's, he doesn't have the resources that he needs to do it. What would have been the benefit of of giving that person that minute rather than shutting them down. I suppose if you look at it that way, yeah. And, and what that, for me, what that was missing was that that emotion regulation in that moment to go, I recognize I'm frustrated with the situation. I recognize I'm frustrated with how we've dealt with it. I'm nervous that we might fail again or not, not, not do this thing again. So I've got all of those things. I'm going to hold them and I'm going to make sure that that after I've 
let this person speak i then share those concerns that i have that share that those things are and it back to my definition at the beginning these things are important to me they're relevant to my goals and therefore i want to talk about them so saying i'm frustrated that we've not done this i'm frustrated that we haven't got the level of support in place i'm nervous that we're going to not do it again so this is what i want to happen to make sure that we do deliver and we do make sure we get to where we want to get to now that's easy for me to say right because mm-hmm. i've been working with motions for decades um and so part of mm-hmm. what we're part of our our work then is helping supporting individuals with being able to do stuff like that mm-hmm. brilliant yeah really really interesting stuff so given that yeah we've established that in general people I guess aren't really taught that much about emotional regulation emotional expression things like that is it something that we can learn and by that emotional regulation but also emotional intelligence is that something that we can learn as adults yes definitely um so it's a it's a skill that can be um uh, that can be developed and um and also it can be assessed and tested as well so if you want to know how emotionally intelligent you are mm-hmm. um you can there's assessments that you can do that would that can give you a, a, a an assessment of that and then there's things that you can learn and and, and improve and, and be better so as as an example um if if you if we go back to the seven um the seven universal emotions that we described earlier on each of those have a universal trigger so for example or research would suggest that they have a universal trigger so uh, happiness would be something we find pleasurable anger would be an obstruction to a goal fear would be a threat of harm uh, surprise would be something sudden and unexpected sadness would be a loss of something that we value um, uh, disgust would be something that we find offensive and then contempt would be where we feel morally superior, as examples. Also, for the listener, I will put a link to a document in the show notes that summarizes all of those things. Um, if if you're looking to improve your emotional intelligence, you can use that to help you because you can go, ah, I'm feeling something, mm-hmm. and, and it and this and if I'm feeling something, that means it's important to me and or it's relevant to my goals. Okay, and then I can use the um, those universal triggers to help me figure out which emotion or emotions I'm experiencing. Because I might ask myself then, all right, mm-hmm. what am I finding pleasurable in this? Oh, nothing actually. Right. So it's not happiness then. All right. Um, what, what, what's getting in my way, which is the question related to anger. Oh, okay. This is getting in my way. Okay. Well, I feel like this is getting, well, probably there's some anger in it then. Um, what threats am I seeing? Oh, I can see there's a threat over here. Okay, so there might be a bit of fear in there as well. Okay. Um, am I feeling like I'm better than somebody else? No, there's probably not any contempt then. Am I feeling like I'm offended? No, so there's probably no disgust in that. Have I lost something? No, so there's probably no sadness. Okay, so in this example then, I'm feeling anger and fear. What do I do want to do about that? Then? Um, and if I mm-hmm. understand what the threat is, I can now manage that threat better because I've worked out there's a threat and I've worked out what the threat is. So therefore that helps me regulate my fear. If I understand what my goal is and what's getting in the way, that helps me regulate my anger. And then I am more emotionally intelligent as a result. So yeah, absolutely. It's something mm-hmm. that, that can be learned and, um, and developed. And uh, in, in 2024, um, 
we're launching um, a product called eFactor. So eFactor is a, an objective assessment of emotional intelligence. So it, it uh, has a, a three three way assessment. So it has a, an objective assessment of your of somebody's knowledge, understanding, skills, and application of emotional intelligence. It also has a self assessment, and it also has a three hundred and sixty degree review component, which is where you ask other people about how you uh, how emotionally intelligent you are, and then you bring those three things together. And that gives you uh, a, 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 basically a score like you would get an IQ score. Um, so you can get a score out of 200 for how emotionally intelligent you are. And that gives you then both a benchmark as to where you are and also helps you identify where where you can get better and, and, and where you can develop. So um, absolutely, it's something that you can, um, you can learn, you can improve, and you can do it with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. With... Um... The emotional intelligence assessment is that a fairly new i want to say product as in is it a new invention or has it been around for a while or no does this yeah i'm wanting to understand it. does this yeah 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 sorry i interrupted you which is poor on my part sorry um so yes it, it was um no, it's okay. so it, it was researched by cliff lansley um who uh mm-hmm. for his uh, phd um and Cliff and I have known each other for, for years and he published his PhD in 2022 and then this tool became available in 2023. Um, and it, so there are a number of other emotional intelligence assessment tools on the market. So there's one called uh, EQI. There's one um, called uh, one from uh, from Baron, I think it is. Um, and there's another one called Mesquite. Um, and what eFactor does mm-hmm. is it it closes all of the gaps that those other tools have. So, for example, um, if you look at um, the EQI, for example, that um, relies on self-assessment. So it relies on my assessment of myself to be like, do I think I'm emotionally intelligent? Um, Whereas something like Mesquite has um, like a, a more of a test in it, a test of your knowledge and your understanding of emotions. One of the challenges with Mesquite is it was done in the 1960s and the methodology they used to decide what was the correct answer in the assessment is a bit flawed. Um, so the way that um, eFactor has done that is much more robust in terms of the methodology it's used to decide what's the right and wrong um, element. And one of the other challenges with um, the other emotion, emotional intelligence assessment tools is they don't account for context. So they don't say, mm-hmm. in this situation, what is the emotionally intelligent response to what's happening? Whereas eFactor does that. So it has a number of situational judgment tests where it says, here's a situation, whether that be, it could be a described situation or it could be a, there's a video for you to watch to understand what the situation is. And then it asks you, what's the most emotionally intelligent next response to this situation? So it's not about what would you do normally or what would you do if you were with your family or what would you do with your friends or what would you do if you're at work? It's like, here's a situation. What's the most emotionally intelligent response to this situation? Um, uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, and the, the way they went about it then is they had a, they engaged a group of 100 um, uh, researchers. So the 100 kind of peer-reviewed researchers in the world of emotional intelligence. They also got um, a bank of uh, practitioners, so people that are uh, kind of 
known within the world. Not necessarily they haven't done the peer-reviewed research academic bit, but they're known as emotional intelligence experts in their field. And they gave them these situations. It says, what are your judgments? So what are your judgments of the most emotionally intelligent response to these situations? Um, and th- at that point, there was we, there was loads of situations. And then, they, and then they looked at where was the agreement? So where was the agreement that A was the most emotionally intelligent response to that situation and where that agreement was high, um, uh, then that was considered then the right answer to to what it is. So there's there's that kind of um, duality of or dual component of reliability to it that you've got high mm-hmm. correlation of agreement between people that yes, this option A or B or C or D is the most emotionally intelligent response in situation one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. Are we at time for our final question? Yeah, I think so. I think we're we're at like an hour and a quarter. So I think if the listener's been with us this long, maybe one more question mm-hmm. um, would be good to wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. So my final question, and it's kind of imagining I'm a person who's gone on this journey that we've been on on this podcast. So I've identified my emotions and kind of what's triggered the emotion. I've understood that the situation right now is not right for me to express it. Mm -hmm. So I've regulated my emotion using one of the five um, families of emotional regulation. So I'm back home later the same day and I'm like, right, I have time now. I'm on my own. I have time to feel that emotion. I don't want to suppress it because I don't want a flooding out episode. How do I go about letting out an emotion in that way? If I've, yeah, I've got dedicated time for it. What should I do? how can i do that um so it it depends really on on a how much time you've got b how much structure you want to put around it Mm -hmm. um and and i feel like there was a c but i can't remember what it was so um uh one example um might be that i want to just go sit in the shower and cry so i'm you know i'm just gonna Mm -hmm. go and i'm gonna go sit in the shower and i'm just gonna cry so that could be one way um, to do it. Mm-hmm. Or I could put on some, I could deliberately choose to put on some sad songs that are going to bring back that overwhelm and that sadness that I felt earlier on because I want to bring it, I want to bring it forward. I want to, to express it and get it all out of my system so that I can kind of feel, feel, feel lighter afterwards. Um, uh, I could also, um, and then, so I suppose there's that, I'm, I'm going to describe it as, as raw, I suppose, that, that raw expression of it and just kind of going, right, I've, I've been holding it in. I'm not going to do that anymore. And out it comes. Um, I might need something to help it. So, you know, the sad music could be something to help it. And then and then, and then I do. Um, also, you could put a bit more structure around it in terms of um, maybe asking yourself some questions. Um, so I'm a massive fan of reflective practice. Um, uh, and... And there's, we could go into more detail, but I won't. I'll keep it simple. Um, so I could do some reflective practice on it in terms of going, what did I feel then? Why did I feel what I felt? What do I feel now? What do I think I want to do about it? Mm-hmm. And then what are my actions? So uh, I don't use why questions very often. 
um, and in this example I think why can be helpful in terms of you know why, why did I feel what I felt because what that that helps me do is figure out what that trigger might be um, so I could have a number of questions that I might ask myself to, to go um, to help me work through what that emotion is um, and I think I think using the thinking and the feeling aspects is useful so what did I feel then why did I feel it what do I feel now um, what do I think I want to do about it what do I actually want to do about it um, could be five useful questions to to help work through that expression and it could be that I express it out loud um, mm -hmm. it could be that I write it down in a journal if I want to keep a, a record of of the different things that that I'm feeling it could be that I just have those questions on a sticky note on my you know on my desk or um, or somewhere that I can ask myself questions and um, and work my way through the answers I think yeah those were kind of some fab takeaway things because that's like the easy things for us to do and easy questions for us to ask ourselves so okay Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Lizzie. So, um, as we sort of move towards closing the podcast off, then uh, we'll I'll move on to our um, our closing question, um, uh, which should be around what surprised you. So, I'm going to ask you what surprised you within uh, within today's episodes. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, as you'll have heard, as we've worked our way through um, this particular episode, one of the things that we do a lot of work on is with teams and the uh, the safe and the constructive expression of emotion is something that can differentiate um, low to high performing teams. It's something that can create close and constructive relationships or can create distant and destructive relationships. So if something that you want to improve on is how your team is engaging with each other and the uh, relative emotional safety to express how you feel in your teams, then give us a call. Get in touch with us at phil at emotionatwork.co.uk and we'll be able to help you out. All right then, Lizzie. Um, what surprised you from the podcast today? Just the sheer amount of knowledge that you have when you were citing all those different reference papers. And I was like, how how have you even remembered all of this, let alone like knowing exactly when to pull on that piece of knowledge because that's relevant here and that's relevant here. That just, yeah, amazed me because I just don't think I have that level of like memory retainment. Um, so yeah, that's what surprised me. Wonderful. Thank you, Lizzie. And thank you so much for your questions. I, I've really enjoyed, uh, yeah, really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, and then uh, what we'll do is we'll make sure in the show notes, we put links to all of the different research papers that I've cited. Um, and mm -hmm. also we'll put those, uh, mm -hmm. those reflective questions uh, in there as well. Uh, and then I'll say, yeah, Lizzie, thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. Um, and thank you to You've been listening to the Emotion Thank at Work you. podcast, and if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams, or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.